Let's pray together. Father, it's always a good time to pray. Father, because our needs are so great. Because, Father, we want to clearly, clearly hear from you. We want, Father, to feel that intimacy with you that we so much long for. We pray, Father, that you will speak to us in this time that has been set aside for you and for your word. Father, may your spirit work powerfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I read the Straight Times, I am impressed by the different kinds of articles that they have. And especially those articles that honor people or groups of people. They all come from different walks of life. They also come from different kinds of achievements. Uh, For example, we read articles that honor individuals or a group of individuals for discoveries that they make that save lives. I mean, you can't put a price on that, can you? You know, it's just amazing. And then there are articles that, of people assisting other people, people who go out of their way. They don't sit there and wait for somebody else to do it, but they get in there and do it. Oh, that's, that's, that really strikes the heart. And then, of course, there are those uh, articles about those who have reached critical milestones in their endeavors, uh, whatever it may be, a business or a profession or maybe just life in general. So this, this whole kaleidoscope of uh, stories is, is very, can be very impressive and very impactful. Now, it is good to acknowledge and to honor others, right? Right, we would all agree. But we would also agree that it's harder to do than we think, right? Why? Because it's our natural tendency, it's our natural uh, bent uh, to do just the opposite. So instead of honoring people, instead of complimenting them, we criticize them, right? You know? And then it's our natural tendency, instead of to honor people, we dishonor them, you know? And so that's just us, you know? That's just be, human beings being human, right? Because we have that sin nature within us. But the Word of God is not happy to leave that that way. And so the Word of God gives us uh, the kind of attitudes that we should have as a Christian community. And part of that is to honor one another, all right? When this happens, the gospel-centered community of believers draws the attention of the world to Christ. You know, everybody sits there and they say, how can I help people understand about Christ? How can I do this? How can I do that? The best way to do it is to live the way Christ wanted us to live. And when you do that, you can't help but point people to Christ. And so what is it that, Christ, that God tells us to do? How can we honor others? Who should, uh, we should, uh, who should we honor? And how will this result in rewards? The Bible instructs us on honoring others. As, and as God's people, we want to learn and live it out. And so, this is what we're talking about today. And the Bible tells us that we should honor one another. And to go understand this better, we have to turn back to Romans chapter 12. Now, as I look out there, there's many of you that I didn't see last week. There's many of you that I haven't seen forever. (laughs) So, you know, I have to do a little bit of review. Okay, so you all who were here last week, just be a little patient. Uh, When we learned last week that... um, The love for the Lord and one another is the key. The love for one another. That's where it all starts, okay? And so uh, Paul starts there. And this calls for us to think differently. How differently? 
think differently about ourselves and our relationship to God. For example, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And what that is, is it's dedication, it's consecration. Now, before you run off too soon and say, well, what does that mean? What that means is that we give ourselves totally to God for His purposes, for His plans, okay? We take ourselves out of the equation. The way I put it last week was that there's no negotiations, there's no ifs, ands, and buts. When God wants us to do something, we do it, okay? That's the bold-faced fact of it. And then there's transformation that happens. Consecration is followed by transformation. Transforming the way we think uh, uh, that is different away from the way the world thinks. So however way the world, what it values, what it pushes us to do, all of that, no, that we're not going to go that direction. We're going to change our thinking so that we are uh, thinking more like God does. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This was in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And we talked about some other things, but we finally got down to the last point, and that was this calls for us to love deeply, love deeply. And so God says, okay, I want you to, to do this. I want you to concentrate, uh, consecrate yourself. I want you to change your thinking, and I want you to relate to one another this way. And the way that we're going to do this is by loving each other deeply. But he didn't stop there because God, in his wisdom, decides that us human beings will have a hard time trying to translate what does it mean to love deeply. So he goes on and he gives us the actions that we can do. The first one we talked about was being devoted to others in brotherly love. So when we love each other the way God wants us to, it's going to reveal itself in a family-like kind of love. You know, I had a person that came to me one time after I preached this, and, and they said, there's a problem there, Pastor. And I said, what's the problem? He said, my family didn't have much love. So I have no clue what you're talking about when you say brotherly love. You know, I have no clue. I have no picture. I have no example of that. And I said, in some respects, I'm sad for you, but the good news is now you can start. You go to the Word of God, you figure out what this is, and you begin to live it. And so this is what he says. But then he comes to the second part in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Then he says, give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another in honor. So that's where we are now. This is where we are now. This is the New American Standard Version, and it says, Give preference to one another. What does this mean? Well, to understand it better, we have to know the reasons behind honoring one another. There's a general concept here that's involved. And first of all, it's motivated by a pure and sincere love. This was in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Make no mistake. In the heart and mind of God, such love is more than just a possibility. It's meant to be a reality, all right? It's not something we put on. It's not like, oh, I see somebody walking down the street and suddenly, 
I'm all smiles, you know. I'm all lovey-dovey, you know. But as soon as that person passes me, I'm all, oh, you know. It's not to be that way, all right? And it's not to be some kind of ideal out there that's just admired from afar. But it's something to be close and dear to us and a reality in our life. It is living, breathing reality and not a mere ideal to be admired. It's also manifested by the way we honor one another. Now, there's different translations for this verse. And depending on what translation you have, they're all good. But one of them found in the New International Version is honor one another above yourselves. That's where giving preference comes in. It means to regard one another as more important than yourself. Wow. That's pretty earth-shaking there. So you're telling me if I'm going to have this love that God wants us to have for one another, and if I'm going to honor one another, it starts by what? Regarding people as more important than ourselves. That's where it starts. Okay? And so the word honor means to value, to esteem, or respect highly. Okay? Honor is not that hard a word for us to understand. Okay, but practicing it is okay. Honor is not hard to understand, but practicing it is, and that's why this is so important. So, why? Uh, what are the reasons behind? It's founded on who God is and has done what He has done for us. God alone is worthy of all honor. We can't say to one another. We can't say this. We can't say. He says, honor one another. I don't know anybody I want to honor. I, I, I can't think of one person that would meet my standard and that I should honor. Try this on for size. You have to honor God. You have to honor God because he's perfect. Okay? How perfect is he? Who is God? God is. Look at Revelations chapter 4 verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That's a mouthful of a statement there. Suffice it to say, he's better than any one of us. <laughs> okay? And he is awesome. He is even be on that. All right? Revelations chapter 4. But you can also go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 to 16. Now, you will notice in this sermon, I'm doing something a little different. This is a topical sermon, so I have to draw from many different passages. And as I do that, we can't read the whole passage. You would be here until tomorrow morning, all right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read excerpts from the passage. But the passages are written for you in your outline. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 about who God is. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. He who is only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man can be, has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. Now, again, you say that's a mouthful of words. But suffice it to say, God is very, very special. He is beyond and above any human or any possible God. 
And so that's what it's founded on. It flows from that premise that it is founded on who God is. But it also is founded on what God has done for us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. That is the passage. And what we find in there is this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. God is our Savior. I don't know how much that impresses upon you. When was the last time you were saved from something? Okay, think about it. Okay, you were saved maybe from a medical condition. Perhaps you were saved from some uh, great challenge of some sort at work. Perhaps you were faced with a great challenge in, in all kinds of other areas of your life. And you just prayed out and said, oh, God, help me. That's what he is. God is our Savior. You got an idea of that. All right? So God is our Savior. That's what he's done for us. Through God, Christ is provided as the mediator between himself and us. Because Christ died and rose again from the grave for our sins so that we might be justified. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He, meaning Jesus, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Justification is a big word meaning made righteous being declared sinless, okay? That's what it means. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So when you think about this, who is God? God is really something beyond our imagination. He is the one that's deserving of all honor. Him and Him alone. And then when we think of what He has done for us, we think about the fact that He has provided the way of salvation. He's provided the way out. Because He paid for our sins, we don't have to pay for our sins. Because He died for our sins, we don't have to die for our sins. You got it? So that's the greatness of God. That is the greatness of God. And out of that flows this whole idea of love and a whole idea of living for him and honoring one another. Now, also, it follows the the example of Christ. It follows Christ's example. When we think about who we should honor, all right? And we say, I don't know anybody on the face of this earth I I should honor. I, I can't think of one person. You think of God, okay? But then beyond that, you see, how do I do this? Well, you look at how Christ did it. How did Christ honor God? Remember, the verse says, give preference. Regard one another as more, one another as more important than yourself. Obviously, Christ regarded God more important than himself. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, for example, it says this, 1 Corinthians, I mean, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Sound familiar? You bet. So here's the example of Christ that was given to us. And then if you go a little further and you drop down to verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2, you read, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So, Christ honored God by being obedient to him, to the max, to the point that he was willing to die on the cross, to the point that he was willing to die on the cross. Well, that got me thinking, okay? I says, well, if I died today, I'm not so sure that I would have accomplished everything God wanted me to do. I think I could be more valuable to God alive than dead, all right? And so I said to myself, how can I honor God? Obviously, God did not uh, and, uh, uh, have planned for me to, to, to die for him, a martyr's death or any other kind of death. I'm still here. So I started thinking about that and started looking up scriptures. We should and can honor God by loving him, by loving him. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. There's a typo in your outline, okay? For those of you who are still awake, that is the typo, okay? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37, 38. Loving him. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. If I'm going to honor God, I've got to love him first and foremost. Okay? There's no ifs, ands, and buts around it. Number two, we should and can honor God by seeking his kingdom. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, I love God more than anything. I'm going to seek his kingdom with all of my heart and soul and everything I got. And then number three, keeping his commandments. He says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then later on in chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So you sit there and you say to yourself, self, how can I honor God? I can honor God by loving him, seeking his kingdom and keeping his commandments. Is there anything else? Oh, yeah, there's a lot more. But let me just give you two. Another one is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Now you're saying, what is it? Honoring him from our wealth. Now, I've never been a rich person, okay? But I've been a wealthy person, okay? Because... My riches were not measured according to dollar signs. I've got seven kids. All the money went out. Okay? (laughs) Never came in. All went out. (laughs) You know? But I'm a wealthy man because my children, they have been a great... They've turned out much better than I deserve. All right? And I am a wealthy man because of what I have. 
And he says here that we should honor him from our wealth. In Psalms chapter 37, verse 5, he tells us that we should commit our, our way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it, he says. And so, you know, that, that, that really inspires me. That pushes me. That moves me. And it asks me the, to, to ask the question, am I really trusting God? Am I really trusting God? You say it. You say it. You say it. You say it. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. Are you really? Are you trusting God? One of the most concrete ways we can trust God is from our wealth. Okay? It's from our wealth. I trust God with my children. I trust God from what he has given to me materially and every other way. And so, are we really trusting God? This is the question. Well, usually after we say something like this, people say, yeah, but (laughs) you don't understand, Pastor. I, I really worry about this, and I worry about it a whole lot. I really do. I wonder how I'm going to have enough food, how am I going to have enough clothes, how am I going to have you know, gas in my tank, and all this other stuff, okay? Well, to this, I would direct you to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 to 31. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 to, 31 to 33. And it says this, Do not worry then, saying what we will eat, or what we will drink, or what we will wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I'm going to use myself as an example, not to pat myself on the back, because I don't want to embarrass anybody else. If I use another example from somebody in the congregation, they're going to really feel like, no, no, don't, don't say things like that. So I'm going to use myself, okay? When Effie and I got into this whole business of serving the Lord, okay, I had a really nice job. I had a new house. We'd been in it less than a year. I had two new cars in the garage. I was making a really nice salary. I just got promoted. And I said to the Lord, why this, why now? You know, why didn't you get me when I was really poor? You know? And God said, never mind that. Just do it. And so I said, okay, God, that's what we're going to do. And so here we entered into the ministry with five young children, and then we picked up two more in seminary. And, and, and here we were serving the Lord, and, and we asked ourselves, okay, we're really going to have to trust God here. We're really going to have to trust God. And so anyway, long story short, what happened is we never missed a meal, okay? Our clothes never rotted on our backs, all right? We always had gas in the tank, so on and so forth. Why? Because God was faithful. And even today, my wife and I, okay, there's just two of us at home now. Our kids are on their own. Okay, thank God. Oh, praise God. And so they're on their own. And what we've learned is that we still have to challenge ourselves in this area. So we made a promise with God. We made a pledge to the building program, all right? And then we got convicted that we're not trusting God enough. We're not trusting God enough. So we said, okay, Lord, we're going to go one step further. We're going to ask you to, as you provide, we will give more to the building program, all right? And so what happened was suddenly I got gifts. I didn't solicit the gifts. I didn't ask for the gifts. I never told you I needed gifts. 
but I was getting gifts. So we decided that we would give, in some cases, all of it back to the Lord, to the building program. Some of it we give a portion back to the, to the, to the Lord, and so on and so forth. But we started with a little amount, and we just kept getting it bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm so glad that we did that. Why? Because it teaches us to trust the Lord. All right? We honor Him from our wealth. All right? Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody in here. You do what God tells you to do. But I am challenging you, start small and go from there and see how God leads. All right? That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying you're going to be, you give God this and you're going to get a return of this. and that. I'm not there. That's not what the Bible says. And so I'm just challenging all of us to honor God from our wealth. Last one, to glorify Him in whatever we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever then you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All right? So these are ways that we can honor God. Okay? We don't have to die on the cross. Jesus already did that. Okay? So what we do is we live for God. And this is how it can happen. So the reason behind honoring others is because God is worthy of all honor for who he is and what he has done and because we are following Christ's example. Now let me hurry on. Recipients of honor. Remember I said earlier that some of us have this mindset and this attitude. There's nobody on the face of this earth that is worthy of honor. Now, you're all looking at me like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to them, you know. Let's see. God actually gives us several groups of people that we ought to honor. Okay? Now, whether they deserve the honor or not are two different things. Here he says we should honor these people. We should, re- we should put great value upon them. We should give them respect and so on and so forth. Who are they? First of all, in Romans chapter 13, it's government authorities. Verses 1 to 6. Now that's the whole passage, but we don't have time to read the entire passage. So we will just go through some of it. And so what we read here is that Every, Romans chapter 13, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. For it is, meaning the government, is minister of God to you for good. A minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. All right? That was God's design. And so he says, hey, hey, y'all better be in subjection to the government authorities and that thereby granting them honor. And then another group is church leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 16. But we'll only read one. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Okay? And if you read that little further, it talks about material provisions, but it also talks about process. It also talks about if someone accuses an elder of something, you better have, you know, you better follow this process before you do it, all right? This is how we accord uh, honor. Next one, workplace authorities. All who are under the, uh, this First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own master as worthy of what? All honor. 
so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. It is for testimony's sake. You know, we work at places, we run around, we wear t-shirts that says God is love, or, you know, we, 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 we wear our t-shirts from our retreats, you know, they have a verse on the back, and everybody in the office knows we're believers, but do we live like believers, you see? And he says, for testimony's sake, then we are to regard our masters uh, with honor. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleaders, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God. So it's not only for testimony's sake that we live this way, but it's also for the Lord's sake. It's for the Lord's sake. So that's how we can do it. That's three groups, government, church, workplace. Another one, family leadership structure in the family. The Bible tells us that marriage is an institution by God that ought to be honored. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, okay? We won't read that one, but that's what it says. And then, husbands and wives have unique duties to one another in that relationship. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verse 1 and verse 7. We can't read the whole passage. And it says in verse 1, Wives, it says, First uh, Peter chapter 3, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient in the, to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So, in the, leader, in the marriage structure, there's going to be a wife who is submissive to her husband's authority. Okay? That's what the Word of God says. Submissive spirit speaks volumes, even to the one who is disobedient. Okay? And then, God doesn't let the husbands off the hook. Okay? I love this part. I really love this part because I had to learn it the hard way. Okay? And I'm so glad to pass it on to husbands-to-be and young husbands. I said, let me give you a word of advice. Look at verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, according to her bent, according to her personality, according to her background. And then, with, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Several things. Women, do not grab me by the neck and throw me out the window because I said as a weaker, vest, a weaker person, all right? The word weak there means, it means, it refers to a fine porcelain vase as a, as a, as a piece of art, all right? I can't see anybody in this room having a Ming vase and deciding to treat it terribly. But that's the same way. He says, don't treat your wife horribly. Treat her like a Ming vase. Treat her like a precious porcelain vase. So ladies, don't grab me and throw me out the window, okay? And then he goes on to say, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So don't go turning to your wife and saying, that's a stupid thing to say, or you don't know what you're talking about. Don't do that. 
Treat her as somebody who is a recipient of the grace of God, just like you are. Then he says, now this is the kicker. This is the kicker. So that your prayers will not be hindered. I had a guy who came in one time. He says, me and my wife are having problems. I says, what kind of problems are you having? He listed the most horrible things. You know, and then, and then uh, uh, I said, uh, I, I kind of stumped him because I said, well, how's your, how's your prayer life been? Has God been answering your prayers? And he said, what does that have to do with anything? And, and he said, well, to be honest with you, Pastor, I have to admit, my prayers haven't gone very far. Maybe they go to the ceiling and that's about it. Because God never seems to answer them the way I want. And I says, that's because your marriage is such a mess. You're not treating your wife right. Okay? So wives, every time your husband mistreats you, you tell him, watch out. You're not going to get your prayers answered. All right? And you're biblical. You're biblical. You see? So there are these unique relationships within the institution of marriage. Husbands and wives have unique duties to one another. And the last one, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. He talks about the relationship between parents and children. He says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. What is the promise? So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. He says, wow. <laughs> Does that affect how you relate to your parents? It should. It should. You see, that's how we can honor our parents. When is the last time you accorded honor to your boss at work, to your spouse, or to your parents at home? When was the last time? I just want you to think about it. I don't want you to give me a vocal answer. Okay? Let me give you this story. The story is a child writes a long note to his parents, thanking them for their patience, love, care, and provisions over the years. I happened to see that note. It was... Beautiful. It was something you would want to treasure. And with wave after wave of heartfelt appreciation and admiration, this child wrote this note from his heart to his parents. Now, the only problem is that by the time he got it to his parents, it was too late. They had gone to be with the Lord. So his parents, his parent, never heard or saw these words. And that inspires me to say that we ought to honor whoever we're going to honor before they're not here with us anymore. Okay? Honor them now. Later, maybe too late. Okay? And so please do that now. Be sure to honor those whom God especially designates for honor before it is too, too late. Now, let's hurry on. The last part is rewards for honoring others. In the end, God honored Christ. Well, how do we know that? Philippians chapter 2, okay? We said that Christ honored God. He regarded uh, God as more important than himself for sure, okay? But if you go on a little bit further, you see that in verses 8 through 11, it says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. We read that earlier. Even death on the cross. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Point. Point. God honors those who honor him. God honors those who honor others. That's the point. Okay? Now, how does that affect us? God will honor us as we seek to honor him. And how can we do that? Well, here's a few verses. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 21. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness and honor. Wow. So if I do these things, pursue these things, God will in the end honor me. Yes. And what else? Okay. God or us will, uh, when we have the fear of the Lord or reverence for him. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and what? Honor and life. One more time. God will honor us as we seek to honor him with what? Humbleness. A man, Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him love, will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Got it? Got it? Got it? God will honor us as we do these things. Here's some practical steps. I don't want you to leave here saying, I didn't get anything out of that. I want something to do when I get out of here. All right. So here are some practical steps. Number one. Pray and examine your own attitude and demeanor. Or you're sitting out there and you're saying, "Eh, what does that involve? Okay. Ask yourself the question, do I, do I, ask yourself, do I honor uh, God first and foremost? Ask yourself, do I prefer to honor others or do I prefer others to honor me? Hmm. That's a measurement. That's a measurement. So be, and how can you make the most of this? Okay? I find it hard to honor other people. Okay? I know you say, Pastor, you shouldn't say that. You're the pastor. Yeah, I'm the pastor, but I have to be real with you. And I find it hard sometimes to honor people. Okay? How do I get past that? By being thankful for the person. By being thankful. When I am truly thankful for a person, I can honor them all over the place, okay? And so there's a connection here between honoring people, regarding others as more important than ourselves, and being thankful. Generally speaking, if I find a person who is not very thankful, they have a problem honoring anybody, okay? So try to be thankful for people. Number two, here's the second one. Pray and ask God to bring someone special to your mind and heart to honor. Okay? Go home. Leave this place. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, I heard you today. And what I'm asking you to do is bring someone to my mind that I can honor. And it may be somebody you never even thought of. Or it can be someone that you perhaps have been thinking about, but you didn't do anything about it. Okay? Pray for them and thank God for them first. Go to God first and pray. And then translate that prayer into action. Write them a note. 
and then adjust your attitude towards them. Okay? These are things that we can all do. Come on, don't sit out there and look at me like, I don't know what to do. That's what God's saying. God's being very upfront with us today. And so this is what he wants us, that we can do. Okay, we're at the end of our time. God is is deserving of all honor. Very good. Because we can honor God, we can honor others. And God wants us to honor others. But we're going to have to be of the mindset, like in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay? Don't wait until the person sitting next to you is gone before you honor them in some way. Okay? Honor God by keeping His word. Love one another by honoring others. Which means regarding one another as more important than ourselves. Can you do that? Can you do that? You can in the Lord. And when we have a church with people doing this, we cannot keep people out. We cannot keep people out. But we have to do our part. Let's pray. Father, we've covered a lot of places today, and we know, Lord, that it's going to take some time for us to digest it all. But, Lord, we pray that instead of giving us indigestion, that you will give us good digestion, and that GBC will become the church that you want it to be, a church that honestly and sincerely loves and a church that shows that love by honoring one another. Oh, Father, help us to be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.